Welcome to Trinity on Tap, the New Testament, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. John Frederick. This is 4.1, Connecting the Dots, from Faith to Faithfulness. Well, we're now well past the midway mark of this podcast series, and we're in section four out of five sections. We've entitled this section, The End of the World as I Know It, Come as I Am, and leave as God made me to be. The title is a bit of a play on the commonly held assumption that God wants us to come as we are, but he also wants us to stay as we are. Sure, there are many positive and unique things about all of us. God absolutely welcomes everyone just as they are to respond in faith to his grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet, the New Testament is clear both in Jesus' own teaching and in the equally inspired apostolic writings, that while God accepts us just as we are, He never leaves us where we are. He always brings us somewhere new. And for that to happen, there are things in our lives that need to change, that need to be transformed, that need to be fundamentally renovated. Now, if your response to that theological reality is, how dare this guy tell me I need to change things about myself? I think I am fine just as I am. If that's your response, you're guilty of the sin of pride. Hear me clearly. If you look at the biblical call, the call of Jesus to pursue holiness, to pursue sanctification and moral transformation, if you find that offensive, You need to lay down your pride at the feet of Jesus. It is one of the sins of which we are all guilty from time to time that was nailed to the cross on the day that Jesus died. It is the original sin of the devil in his desire to be God. It's the original sin of our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve, in their desire to be like God in the book of Genesis. What you need, what I need, what we all need is not pride, but penitence. It is, as the author of Psalm 51 says in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. To some, that sounds very forceful, almost arrogant of me to say. Who is he to tell me to change? It's not me that's telling you to change. It's not me. It's God. It's God's word. It's the entire witness of scripture. And if you're honest, it's your own conscience. As the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin and unrighteousness, as he has done to me and does every day to me and anyone else who's ever come in contact with him. And as the Spirit convicts you of your absolute inability to save yourself. So as we get into a section that is largely about ethics, and spiritual formation, I want us to reorient ourselves to the holiness of God. Is your understanding of the triune God one of a holy, almighty being? Or have you recreated God in the image of your favorite permissive parent? Do you resonate with Hebrews 12, 28 through 29, where we read that we should be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and that we should offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe 
because our God is a consuming fire? When is the last time you confessed your sin to God, to another brother or sister in the Lord? When is the last time you've been aware of your sin? When is the last time you've been convicted of your sin and fled to the cross of Christ seeking His righteousness and pardon and forgiveness and acceptance by His free grace alone? If none of that is familiar, even a daily occurrence, you probably have not thought seriously enough about sin. And if you don't repent much over your sin, you won't make much of God's abounding grace. To that end, before we even get into 1 Thessalonians, I really want us to prepare our hearts for this section of podcast by prayerfully hearing and possibly even memorizing Psalm 51 in its entirety. And it might seem like too much to focus on 19 verses of scripture, but if it does seem like too much, you gotta toughen up. Seriously. Sure, I mean, Everyone knows it's hard to focus, but given that most of us consume hours upon hours of television and social media, and I guarantee far less scripture, I think we need to practice what the early New England Congregationalists and the independents of England called mortifying the flesh, or perhaps more directly in our context, mortifying the Facebook. Psalm 51 is a psalm that I've completely memorized. And it is a good psalm to memorize because, let's face it, for the rest of your life on earth, you will be a sinner who is in desperate need of a savior. The best way to experience healing and growth is to be a person who is daily, daily confessing sin and daily seeking to walk and grow in holiness and faithfulness toward God. We need this to be a daily thing. Let's prayerfully hear the word of God, and then I'd encourage you even to stop the recording and begin memorizing this psalm. Just weave it into the depths of your soul. It's healing for the soul to let go of that sin, to acknowledge that sin. So hear the word of God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom from the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop so that I will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. 
Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. That last bit there after the psalm is a classic way of ending a psalm reading when you pray it from the Anglican tradition, which is the tradition that I was ordained in. If you're interested, I've included in the PDF just some free resources from the Book of Common Prayer and other texts like that, so be sure to check it out. Now, let's briefly turn to 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 10. And I want to frame this section of teaching by hearing the Word of God again. But Timothy has now come to us from you and has brought us good news about your faith and love. He's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of God because of you? Night and day we pray earnestly that we may see you again and that we may supply what is lacking in your faith. The essence of this passage is that Paul and his colleague Timothy are encouraged by the faith of the Thessalonians and by the fact that they're standing firm in the Lord. Yet, if you focus on verse 10, something somewhat confusing is introduced that I want to unpack a bit. Paul, who seems to be so encouraged by the Thessalonians' firmness in their faith, is also concerned to supply, quote, what is lacking in their faith. So, on the one hand, their faith is strong, it's a cause for celebration, and yet, on the other hand, it is incomplete in some way. What's going on here? The phrase, what is lacking, occurs a few other times in the New Testament, and it always occurs in significant passages. In Philippians 2, 25-30, Paul desires people to come to him to fill up, quote, what is lacking in the service of Christians. The word for service in that context is letogeas, which literally means liturgies. Thus, there, Paul is desiring that the church he served should now perform the work of ministry for him. To perform, literally, the Greek liturgies for him. This is because for Paul, 
The worship of the church and the life of faith is meant to cultivate a life of faithfulness. Faith in Christ, for the New Testament authors, always gives birth to faithful service. I think it is really interesting that while in contemporary Christianity, we often think of the smells and bells of worship services when we hear that word liturgy, for Paul, it referred to the worship of the family of God when they ministered and served one another. In the New Testament, liturgy was less about formal prayer and more about faithful service. In fact, the word letargeas refers most often to cultic priestly service, like offering sacrifices and personal acts of service to other human beings. As we saw in Romans 12, we are called together to offer our bodies as a singular living sacrifice, which is our act of worship to God, and which at the same time renews our mind. As we serve, we are sanctified, and as we worship, we are transformed. Paul uses the phrase, what is lacking, one other time, and that is in Colossians 1.24. There he notes that through his sufferings, he is, quote, filling up what was lacking in the afflictions of Christ. What? That sounds totally bonkers. What could Paul add to Christ's perfect, sufficient, and completed redemptive work? Well, actually, when we put these three different verses together, something profound arises. Paul envisions the life of the Christian to be a life of participation in the sufferings of the Messiah, or as it is translated in Greek, the Christ. This was a concept that the Jews of Jesus' time associated with the age of the Messiah. They called it the Messianic woes. During the age of the Messiah, suffering would be experienced by the people of God, after which time God would reconcile the world to himself through Israel. To Paul, the life of the Christian faith is a life of faithful service. It's a life of suffering that paradoxically accomplishes and extends the redemptive work of Christ. Thus, to bring it back around to 1 Thessalonians 3, as the gaps are filled in our faith through suffering and through service, we engage more fully in the transformative works produced by faith and the labor produced by love, the things we learned about in the early episodes. What is lacking in our faith is not necessarily massive doctrinal or theological components. No. What is lacking in our faith is a long obedience in the same direction, an obedience that turns faith in Jesus into faithful service towards others. This service, these liturgies, they conform us to the God who is love, and they bring God's love into the world through us. Have a read through Paul's epistle to the Philippians this week. It's quite brief, and you might even be able to read through it several times. And when you do, I want you to focus specifically on chapter 2, where Paul talks about working out our own salvation. And then chapter 3, where Paul teaches about the righteousness that comes from faith. And ready your soul, because sometimes the convicting word of Holy Scripture can feel like condemnation. But conviction 
is not condemnation. Conviction is freedom from the slavery of sin. For as Paul says in Romans 8 verses 1 through 2, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. He sets you free. So until next time, go in peace, go in freedom, go rejoicing in the joy of the Holy Spirit. And thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. I'll catch you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.